I've been able to take some opportunities to sit in my backyard in my chair and have lunch and just be able to enjoy God's creation. I've done that before on lunchtime to be able to grab my sandwich and drink and and just sit back there during the sunny days, of course, the, 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 the rainy days, not so much. But to be able to sit back there and just look at the trees and look at the flowers that we have back there and, and the squirrels, how they, they just race around back there a lot. Some bunny rabbits as well and uh, many, many birds. Just to watch them and see how they're buzzing around. Those hummingbirds too, those are fun to watch as well. And I just enjoy doing that. Sitting in my backyard in the chair and having lunch and, and enjoying all of God's creation. I remember also, too, uh, being a camp uh, ca- a staff person at Camp Tillicum. Uh, Tillicum is a camp about uh, eight miles northwest of Newburgh. And I was a staff person there for three summers during my college uh, days. And uh, being able to be back there, uh, it was just uh, it, it, a good time, those three, uh, three summers back there. And uh, when I would go out to Camp Tillicum, it was just a beautiful place that would remind me of God's creation and, and the presence of God. Beautiful, gigantic lake that uh, the property was all around that and uh, the trees and the forest there and the trails, all of those things. I just remember being out there in, that, uh, in God's creation and just enjoying it so much. Um, during the days. There were some times we were able to go out at night too and enjoy that time. And man, during the evening when it would uh, start to get uh, dark, those bullfrogs would just start croaking and sounding like big old cows. It was just crazy. But uh, again, just enjoy all that God had to offer in his creation. It just reminded me so much of how great God is. And then of course, I remember backpack trips that we've we've taken to the Green Lakes area to uh, have our, our base camp there, the hike in and the base camp there, to enjoy uh, the just creation there at nights at base camp at Green Lakes, looking up at the clear skies and seeing all those stars in the sky. It is just incredible, incredible scenery going on. And uh, so many stars being out there. There's no lights to keep anything else from, from obstructing the, the, the view of the stars and, and comets and all those things. Um, and then, of course, being on top of South Sister, that's why we hiked out there on a backpack trip, uh, on top of South Sister and during the day, of course, and getting a view of all of the valley and everywhere else in the central Oregon. It was just beautiful. And uh, I just remember all that, uh, how, how incredible that all is. And, and again, being reminded of how great God is and his creation for us. I, have you ever looked up in the sky before out in the, at night in your backyard or wherever? Maybe out in the, out in the forest and you're able to see up in the sky, out in the country, all those stars. It's just incredible. I have one of those apps on my phone that, uh, that show the different stars and the planets and the comets and all those things. Uh, you can aim it in different places and find out where they're at. It is a great app. All kinds of information that you can be given on those too. But uh, did any of you see the uh, Neowise Comet? That's also on the app as well, too. It can be located on that app. And it shows it just coming up around 10 o'clock at night on the horizon uh, there and uh, at night. And being able to see it, it's right below the, the Big Dipper or the pot part of the Big Dipper. And uh, it, you can't see it very well these days now. It's starting to get uh, more faint. 
But uh, that's something that's incredible too. And to think that that it, it won't be returning for another 6,000 years is what I've heard. Maybe I've heard wrong, I don't know. But anyway, it's amazing to think of, of how all of the planets in our solar system move and rotate, especially our, with our planet Earth, how the different motions it has and surrounding the, the sun and making the rotations there and all that stuff. But do you ever maybe think that Galileo and uh, Copernicus kind of got it wrong, that our solar system doesn't really revolve around the sun? Because some days it seems like the universe just revolves around certain people, right? But let's be honest, we all have our moments when uh, self-centeredness comes our way and we encounter self-centeredness in us, right? Um, or maybe on the other hand, maybe you have times when you wonder if you really matter to God at all. Today's Psalm, Psalm 8, we're going to look at, gives an attitude adjustment for both self-centeredness and self-deprecation, basically, and as we examine the worth of a human being in the eyes of God. I trust that today we'll discover that our true self-esteem is found in God, who is great and greatly to be praised and celebrated. So turn with me to Psalm 8, where we will celebrate the majesty of God and the worth of God, of God's created. That's you and me. So Psalm 8, let's look at that psalm. It's uh, nine verses long, and I will read through that and follow along with me. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings as you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with, the, with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under, the, the feet, under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the, of the wild and the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You know, after hearing this psalm, you probably have a number of songs running through your head. And maybe it's a couple of them here I got that I'm, why I'm sitting here at the piano. Um, maybe it's one from Michael W. Smith. You remember this song? It's been a while. But this song, that's a, a, a familiar one, hopefully, for you. Majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Oh Lord, we praise your name. Oh Lord, we magnify your name. Prince of peace, mighty God. Oh Lord, God Almighty. Probably haven't heard that for a while. I can hear Neil right now saying, it needs more bass, it needs more bass. Or maybe Jack Hayford's song, Psalm 8, that you probably have roaming through your head a little bit, possibly. It kind of goes like this. 
song and maybe you know it maybe you don't but uh, I'll try to try to play it along here for you some of it Majestic is thy name. I like Keith Green quite a bit. But uh, maybe those songs, maybe other songs are going through your mind right now because of Psalm 8. But uh, Psalm 8 is also a, a messianic and a praise and a creation uh, psalm. It's a messianic psalm because those kinds of psalms are called that because they are quoted um, in the New Testament in a direct reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this psalm is quoted three times in the New Testament. And the beginning and the ending of the psalm also, too, suggests that it is essentially a psalm of praise, as you probably already picked up from that with those three songs and maybe some other songs that you probably can think of as well. But the middle of it, of, of Psalm 8, is also, it qualifies as a nature psalm or a psalm of creation because it speaks about um, all the things that uh, God has done and, and setting man in, in dominion over these things. David starts and ends this psalm with a bold declaration about God. The first and last verse both say, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Now the phrase, O Lord, our Lord, might sound a little redundant, but as you read it in the Bible, you'll notice that the two words for Lord are spelled kind of differently. Uh, they, they use the same letters, okay, but they spelled a little differently if you read them. The first is spelled in all caps, capital L-O-R-D, which our English translators use to indicate the Hebrew name for God, Yahweh. And this is the, the name God revealed to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. And basically, 
It means I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. God is the great I am, the, the absolutely existing one. He always has been and always will be. He never changes. He is not created. He, is, he's, he just is. And everything else in the world is dependent upon him. And the second word for Lord only capitalizes the, the, the letter L. And it comes from the Hebrew word Adonai, which means master or boss or ruler. So the, the, the first Lord is a name, and the second Lord is more of a title. And David is saying, Yahweh, you are our master. And God is over all, and as such, his name is his character, his being, deserves to be praised and worshipped across the whole earth. This is the main point of the psalm. You want to know, you want to know him. You want to know how great he is. And, and, and you want to know why you, why you matter. Why do you matter in all of this? Because God is great. This is so important that David bookends it at the beginning and at the end of this psalm. No matter what role we find our humanity here, everything we have and everything we are comes from God, our master, who deserves to be praised. Then David gives us a couple of reasons why God deserves such praise. First, he points to the glory of creation. He says, you have set your glory above the heavens. And he adds in verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. You can kind of picture David, the shepherd, gazing at the night sky as he writes these words. And the universe is an amazing creation. Just consider the sheer size of it. The earth is about 8,000 miles in diameter. But imagine, for comparison's sake, if, you, if the earth were the size of a little grape, a little grape, then our star, the sun, would be about the size of a giant beach ball. And one of the, the largest stars in our galaxy is the Canis Majoris. It can hold over 2,000 beach balls, basically, or 2,000 of our suns, of course. And how about the distance? distance light the light light from the sun takes about eight minutes to reach us so those those sun rays you're getting during this uh, day of uh, sunny weather it's it's about eight minutes old from the sun and so if the earth uh, is 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 this grape and uh, the sun would be about 163 yards away almost two football fields away and the nearest star would be about 24,000 miles away and the nearest sister galaxy, the great Andromeda galaxy, one trillion miles away. So you're kind of getting the idea of how big our, our, uh, the, whole, the whole thing is here of, of the universe and galaxies. It's incredible. And, and certainly we know a lot more about the stars today than David did. But the more we know, the more we should be amazed. When we are in awe of creation, whether it be the night sky or a rainbow or a beautiful sunrise or the magnificent view from the top of South Sister, we should praise the creator behind it all. As David poetically wrote, God's fingers put the stars in place. David's son, Solomon, must have remembered this from his father as he built uh, the famous temple, Solomon's temple. 
When he dedicated it, he prayed in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. <laughs> so David cites this reason first, that God is great because the universe is great. But then he talks about another reason. He says in verse 2, From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now we see a couple things here. First, we see that God has enemies, people and angels who do not please or who not praise God and who do not give credit to God for the glory of the universe, but instead want to take it themselves. They want to praise themselves. But then David says a curious thing here. He says God takes the praise of babies and infants to silence them. How much could babies add to the fight? It sounds kind of ridiculous, right? Babies are pretty helpless creatures. But a recurring theme in Scripture is that God likes to use the weak to overcome the strong. Consider Moses. Although Moses was by no means perfect, and his actions in the beginning showed his weaknesses, the rest of what he did illustrates his faithfulness and powerful leadership as he faced Pharaoh, led the Exodus, parted the Red Sea, of course God did that through him, and brought the people to Mount Sinai where the Old Covenant was established and the Ten Commandments were given. Consider Gideon. Gideon, once a warrior who was found hiding in a wine press, God called Gideon to overcome fear and a lack of faith to be a faithful, mighty commander. And then, of course, David. God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse uh, to anoint the new king, and after going through all of Jesse's sons, he was finally directed to the youngest son, David, and he was least likely to be chosen. But God told Samuel that David was the one, and David rose to the challenge and defeated the giant warrior Goliath, and then David successfully evaded Saul's uh, attempts to kill him, and once he became king, David was a powerful military commander and soldier who was a man after God's own heart. You know, God likes to use the weak to overcome the strong. The Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians about how God refused to take away his thorn in the flesh, but Paul grew to be, to be satisfied knowing that in his own weakness, God's strength would shine through. And he says, when I am weak, he is strong. The God of the Bible likes to wage war with, with choirs in the, in the front lines. Just ask Jehoshaphat about that one. And he likes to take down giants with a boy and a slingshot. You know, Goliath never saw that coming from David. And this way, God gets all the glory. And Jesus chose to quote verse 2 on the first Palm Sunday. As he was entering Jerusalem, cleansing the temple and healing people, some children began joining their parents in worshiping Jesus as the son of David, a title for the long-awaited Messiah. And some of the religious leaders complained to Jesus, saying, Don't you hear what these children are saying? Jesus first replied with a simple, Yes. And in other words, Yes, I hear them, and I am not going to correct them, because they are right. I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Then he went on to quote the Greek version of this verse, which ended the discussion. Which, interestingly enough, is what the verse says. 
that the enemies of God would be silenced by the praise of children and infants. Jesus, along with the children, fulfilled scripture that day. And the key question of the psalm comes in verse 4, the exact center of the poem. And, and David's, David asks this, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? To be mindful means uh, to remember someone. God, why are you why are you so important? Why are we so important <laughs> that you remember us, that you care for us, that you visit us, as some some versions say? You know, many many Christians struggle with this. Some think God must not love them, and others think God has to love them; that He has no choice. But I don't believe either are correct that God God must not love them because of all the things they've done, or or that that God has to love them. God chooses to love us, to cast his favor upon us. He, he chooses to do that. For a Christian, your self-esteem doesn't come from self-talk in front of a mirror. And I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and uh, God, people like me, right? No, no, no. Your self-esteem comes from knowing that God esteems you, that God finds value in you just because he chooses to. And no matter what trials you face, please remember that God remembers you. You are on God's mind today and the next day and every day. Notice the second part of verse 4. It says, And the Son of Man that you care for or visit him. Don't miss that. It's, it's, a, it's a repetition of the first part of of, of God being mindful of mankind, but it's repeated in a stronger way. Son of man, it shows our humanness. And not only that, but he stated by, it started by saying God is mindful of us, and now he says he has visited us. Think about that. God has visited us. God Almighty on his throne has visited us. And when God created the world and mankind, he was there. When Adam and Eve sinned and, I, and had to leave the Garden of Eden, God was there. God's presence has always been on this earth, but he has taken the time to visit us. First Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then the children of Israel who became the 12 tribes of Israel, then Moses, then the judges and prophets, and then David. God visited and spoke with all of them. Then Jesus came, the Messiah, and he became one of us. He walked with mankind. He lived with mankind. Then he died for mankind. All because God loves us. Not only does God love us, but God entrusts a special task to us. David talks of how God created humans just a little lower than the heavenly beings, and put us in charge of all creation. I wonder if David is thinking of Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 27, where God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created, he created them. David is in awe that we have been elevated to such a level of responsibility to entrust all of creation to us. It's amazing when you think of it. And it's sad when you consider the ways we have let down our Creator. The litter, the pollution, the wastefulness, the cruelty to animals, uh, the cruelty to each other, uh, envy, gossip, adultery, assault, murder. Our sinful state, beginning with Adam and Eve, has introduced the world's sickness and death and natural disaster. It's all a corruption of our original role, that is to care for the created in honor of the Creator and to worship Him. That's our role. We were created to walk with God. We were created to talk with Him. We were created to have fellowship with Him. But now we can't because there is a great, a great divide between us. And that divide is created by sin. But there is a danger here. If we think too much of ourselves, pretty soon we think, I'm not just created in the image of God, I am God. <laughs> I will control my own life and my own destiny. On the other hand, we can become so focused on our sins that we are totally defeated and walk around feeling that we're worth nothing at all. So there is a happy medium that must come from all of this. I'm created in the image of God, but my image is scarred by my sin. The good news is that Jesus makes us able once again to reflect God's image. In other words, to be the kind of people God intended us to be from the beginning. And here we are walking around, wondering who we are, trying to fill the empty places in our, in our lives, searching, making foolish mistakes. But the Apostle Paul says, you don't have to live that way. You're created in God's image, and yes, the image has been marred, but you can once again reflect the glory and the image of God. Through Christ, you can be made full and complete. In fact, Paul says exactly that in Colossians chapter 2, verse 10, when he writes to the Christians there and tells them, you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Now, when he said, you are complete in him, the Greek word translated complete is a nautical or, or, or naval term. And that statement could just as easily be translated in this way. You are ready for the voyage of life in him. I think it's a pretty special uh, phrase there. It's a pretty great way of saying it. You are ready for the voyage of life in Christ. And whatever you need for the voyage, you will find in him. This is where we say that Christ is the answer. So what's your question? <laughs> what is it that you need today? Are you being enticed maybe by the selfish styles, lifestyles of people who have, have, have no interest in God? Then turn to Jesus. Are you being waylaid by the arguments of those seeking to put doubts into your mind? Then turn to Jesus. He is ready to help you. And Paul, the writer, and also the writer of Hebrews, both point to Jesus as the ultimate fulfillment of Psalm 8. 
Jesus made himself a little lower than the heavenly beings to become one of us, to die on a cross and to be raised on the third day, overcoming sin and death for good. Of all the other labels that you may give yourself or that others might place on you, the one that counts the most is this. You are a follower of Jesus. You have been born again in Jesus Christ, born of the water and born of the Spirit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God. You have a new life. You have been bought and paid for by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And you are his. This is who you are. And that is worth celebrating. You see, the only thing that really counts in this life is whether, you, whether or not Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. In the long run, nothing else really matters. I want you to think about that. What really matters to you? Think about the fact that without Jesus, you'd be lost. And some of you are. But today is the day of salvation for you. You can find your worth in Jesus Christ. You can find your worth in the God of the universe who loves you, who wants to be with you, who wants to have that fellowship again restored with you. And it can be done through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one. And he is the only one that counts in this world with you. He should be priority in your life. Christ should be Savior and Lord of your life. Brianna's going to share uh, one last song. Uh, she's going to lead us in this. If you want to sing along with it, that's fine too. The words will be there for you. But one last song to remind us that Jesus needs to be the only thing that matters. None but Jesus. As she sings that song, uh, just listen to the words if you don't know it very well and just let the words minister to your heart and speak volumes to your heart about how much God loves you. Presence. 
Thank you, Brianna. Thank you for that song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask that you'd be with each one listening and watching today. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind each one of us that God is great, greatly to be praised. How majestic is his name throughout the earth. And I pray, Lord, that because of those things, because of who you are, you love us, and you choose to love us, and because of all of that, then we have esteem in you. We have worth because of your choice 
to love us. Lord, I pray that this Psalm 8 will just ring in our ears about how great you are and about how worthy we are in your eyes. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you for your good news. And I pray, Lord, that as we go from here, that you'd help us realize that we have worth in you because of who you are and because you choose to love us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. How majestic is your name in all the earth. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen.